back in December 2020, the global rollout of the brand new COVID-19 vaccines was only getting started. Just over 7 million people worldwide had been given one dose. And that was rising by around 600,000 people every day. But Israel had planned a massive 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week immunization program. Over a quarter of those 600,000 a day were getting jabbed in Israel. Then Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu promised the country that if they turned out at the vaccine centers, then Israel would be the first country to see an end to the pandemic. Lockdowns and social distancing, he said, would be a thing of the past. No longer would hospitals be overwhelmed and people would no longer be dying of COVID-19 by the dozen. But fast forward a year and that's not quite what's happened. While the country opened up and life started to return to normal, Israel, like much of the world, has been hit hard by the Omicron variant. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes-Young. And today we're taking a look at the COVID situation in Israel. Once the global leader for vaccinations and now suffering a rise in hospitalizations and a barrage of new cases, more than six times their previous daily peak. But first, if you want to get the latest Beyond the Headlines every week, as soon as they come out, just hit the subscribe button in your podcasting app. During the first wave of the pandemic in 2020, Israel registered a record of around 10,000 COVID cases a day. During the second wave in September 2021, it set a new record of over 13,000 COVID cases. And then came Omicron. And on January 12th, 2022, Israel recorded 80,523 new COVID cases. That's more than six times larger than the previous record. Israel led the world in vaccinations in early 2021 and was held up as the test case. If enough people get the jab, that will end the pandemic. The Omicron outbreak appears to throw that very fundamental principle into doubt and raises worrying questions. Are the vaccines effective? Are they enough to keep us safe? And can they stop the pandemic? While the situation in Israel is begging those questions, experts there also say they have some of the answers. First though, what is Omicron and how did this latest outbreak happen? Well, Omicron is the mutated form of the COVID-19 virus that first emerged in China in late 2019. Coronaviruses, like other viruses, are very likely to mutate. The virus adapts and changes as we develop vaccines and measures to prevent the spread. While the fear is that these mutations can make viruses more deadly, experts say that it's more common that it makes it more spreadable at the expense of severity. Omicron, which first appeared in South Africa in late 2021, may be so infectious that all it takes to catch it is a passing breath. But at the same time, data from numerous countries now shows that while cases have skyrocketed, hospitalization rates have not. Now, does this mean that Omicron is a good thing? Well, that's not so straightforward. Early data from around the world would appear to show it's less deadly than previous strains and that the protection offered by vaccines also stops severe illness in those breakthrough cases that would otherwise require hospital treatment and may lead to deaths. 
But with such huge numbers of cases being recorded, even if a small percentage of those people need treatment, that would, in real terms, be too much for many health services to handle at one time. And remember that this is early data, which could change. So what exactly is the situation in Israel then? Firstly, it's important to know that Israel has a relatively small population, only around 9.4 million people. It's a well-off country with an advanced health sector. It was an early and very rapid vaccinator against COVID-19, but it's since been overtaken by other countries. By February 27, 2021, Israel had given one vaccine dose to 50% of its population, almost a year later, and that number is only up to 75% receiving the first dose. Similarly, 50% of the population had received the second vaccine dose by March 23rd. But as of January 2022, only 65% of the population of Israel has received two doses of a vaccine. And now it seems that every day brings record new COVID cases. Hospitalizations rose 151% in just a month, from 97 on December 10th, 2021, to 247 on January the 11th. And yet, a raft of restrictions brought in during December to curb the spread are starting to be rolled back. Israel stopped flights to high-risk countries. It stopped in-person teaching in schools, enforced mask-wearing indoors and on public transport, and ordered people to show vaccine passes to enter public places and businesses. So what's going on? Professor Nadav Davidovich is the head of the School of Public Health at Ben-Gurion University in Negev. He's also involved in drafting advice for the Israeli government, including the response to this outbreak. Israel got the data from the WHO and South Africa that Omicron is a new variant, a variant of concern because of many mutations, especially on the spike protein. Very early, there was a, a discussion with the, the public health services and the prime minister. In a strange or maybe not so strange coincidence, just two, week, uh, two weeks before, there was a very large uh, drill together with the prime minister, uh, actually taking a case a scenario that is exactly that, that there is a new variant that is spreading much uh, faster. Professor Davidovich says that the fact Israel had completed this simulation for such a similar situation meant that the government was able to move quickly with new measures. And probably this is another reason why some of the measures were taken very quickly because there were exactly the same measures taken in the drill. And this was uh, closing the skies from countries uh, that were described as red from the new variant perspective. And indeed, uh, this uh, measure that was taken very quickly actually gave us time. Israel now, of course, like many other countries, is within a tsunami of infections, but uh, we started the sharp rise uh, probably about two or three weeks after countries like the UK, for example, or other European uh, countries. It's not just Omicron, though, that's the worry. There are still people getting sick from other diseases and viruses. The elderly still need care. Cancer patients need treatment. Car crashes continue to happen. So we are now in the middle of the winter. We have already overwhelmed the system every year. Unfortunately, in the last 10 or even 20 years, the public healthcare system that is very strong in Israel actually didn't get enough budget and attention. 
So every year we are suffering from overcrowded, uh, especially internal medicine uh, units. And now on top of that, if you're adding Omicron, and of course, we were just uh, getting out from the wave of the Delta variant, uh, there's still Delta variant patients uh, in the hospital, although now they're turning to be minority. But uh, all of that together uh, puts lots of pressure. We spoke to Dr. Ami Neuberger, who runs the COVID-19 ward at the Rambam Hospital in Haifa. He's been on the wards throughout this pandemic. Up until last week, have not been very busy COVID-19-wise, but we do remember the previous waves. So we were expecting um, an increase, and it's really coming now. Uh, and in the morning, what I mainly do quickly is try to find patients who can be quickly discharged home. There is often a lag time between a major rise in cases and people coming to hospital. With over 80,000 people testing positive on a single day in January alone, Dr. Neuerberger says things are starting to get worse. The Omicron virus is less virulent than the Delta, uh, Delta virus, uh, which is you know, a well-known fact. Uh, but the numbers are increasing, so eventually we get enough patients to, to fill up the wards. Um, we don't see so many severe cases as we used to, which is very encouraging. We do see more people with other medical issues who contract COVID-19 while being sick with something else. So we're kind of now having these patients with two problems, not just COVID-19. The list is endless. It's, it's not just influenza. We have, for example, an old lady who broke her hip. She needs a surgery for the hip, but she also has COVID-19. COVID-19-wise, that's not very serious, but joining these two together, that's, that's quite a lot for an old lady. They are seeing more children being admitted to hospital than they have in the last two years. But the Omicron COVID-19 variant continues to hit the elderly the hardest. This new variant, like everything about COVID-19, has been a surprise. When I heard about the Omicron variant a few months ago, when I heard the number of mutations in the S protein, I said, oh no, that's what we feared. When we realized later, the South Africans actually told us, listen, that's much more infective but less virulent, then there was a sigh of relief everywhere. But even with that relief, the variant is causing a strain on the system, according to Professor Davidovich. But there's still this... Corona situation on the population level uh, creates a um, lot of uh, pressure on the system. Uh, many healthcare workers are already stressed, uh, even under trauma during the last uh, two years. Uh, we have now about 3,000 uh, healthcare workers now in isolation, and there are discussion maybe to reduce the days of isolation. So then why are the measures being removed? Well, Professor Davidovich says that when you have tens of thousands of cases a day, you need to look at things practically. Measures like restricting flights can go. They're more about slowing the arrival of the new variant. Then there's things like the government mandated seven days of isolation for those exposed to COVID, regardless of a vaccine status. With 80,000 cases on a single day, that means tens of thousands more could be isolating after coming in contact with those positive people. That would quickly leave gaps in the health services, police, schools and businesses. Professor Davidovich says that this could hit the economy hard, causing more pain for people already struggling after two years of the pandemic. 
for me, public health is not just about counting uh, cases of COVID. It's also about the social and economic aspects. I think the current government uh, puts the economy in a very high priority. I think maybe a bit too much in terms that the first priority for me should be public health. Again, in a proportionate way. So I'm not uh, supporting now closures or lockdowns or something like that. But if people now are in isolation or we see already that uh, there is a reduction in activity in the business sector, the government should uh, intervene. Israel has also rolled out a third dose of the vaccine in a booster campaign, and it's even trialed a fourth dose. But uptake here is much slower. So are the vaccines even helping? Have the billions spent on developing and deploying these drugs been worth it? Well, Dr. Neuberger is clear. Despite the rising cases, even among those who have been jabbed, the vaccines are making a huge difference. Like Dr. Neuberger, Professor Davidovich also points out the clear medical case for the vaccines. Despite the number of people catching COVID right now, very few of them are getting very sick. And that has a lot to do with jabs. There is a clear uh, difference right now in Israel. We see that all patients that are on uh, ECMO are non-vaccinated. We see that severe cases on ventilators, 83% of them are not vaccinated. So vaccinations are not perfect, but the risk of not being vaccinated is tremendous. And right now, the vaccine, according to the data, is very, very safe. There are some side effects, of course, but I think that this new technology being used in in Israel and other countries of messenger RNA, I think it's extremely promising and really made a change. So what is stopping the rest of the population of Israel from getting vaccinated? Well, Dr. Neuberger says there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy. Yeah, vaccine hesitancy is is a worldwide problem, a very interesting problem with very deep roots of mistrust in institutions. It's not an Israeli problem, it's everywhere. Most cases, nearly all cases of severe COVID-19 disease are among patients who have not been vaccinated at all. Uh, So that's a clear line there. But the new thing about the Omicron variant is that people who have been vaccinated are still infected. They don't develop a severe disease, but they still contract the virus. So that's a change. The issue of vaccine hesitancy and its impact on public health has been something that Professor Davidovich has spent more than two decades thinking about. Whilst it's been a major issue over the last two years, he says that there's a lot more that can be done. The time that we got, we started a campaign for vaccination. I think in this we could uh, do better. Israel has very high rates of vaccination, especially among those who are over 50, including the third dose. With children, unfortunately, the campaign was less uh, successful. Another aspect is that there is a socioeconomic uh, gradient. We just published a study showing that uh, in all vaccinations, first, second, third, Uh, All age groups, there is a socioeconomic gradient and the people that are from high socioeconomic status are much more vaccinated. And I think this has several reasons related to fake news, a question of access. Israel operated the mobile units, but I think we could be much more proactive. But there's not just one cause of the hesitancy. Some of it is socioeconomic, some of it's about access or messaging, some of it's political. 
It's not a monolithic group. Some people, and this is a very tiny minority in Israel, probably about 2-3% hardcore anti-vaxxers. You know, they, some of them believe in different conspiracy theories. Uh, some are confusing a legitimate criticism of uh, the current system. There are those who oppose vaccines for a number of reasons, and some of that is rooted in criticism of what's been happening. For example, Israel has agreed to hand over extensive medical data to the pharmaceutical companies in exchange for getting early access to the vaccines. Shin Bet, the country's domestic spying agency, was ordered to use telecoms data to track movement of positive cases and assess the level of compliance with COVID rules. Both of these drew huge criticism from rights groups and from campaigners, and also from the general public. Professor Davidovich has another example. You know, the pharmaceutical industry is actually making lots of uh, profits. I think that uh, during emergency, we need to change the paradigm. The old issue of intellectual property and patents uh, during a pandemic, I think that's something that if there was a political will, it could be very different. But what can the Israeli government do to reach out to the 35% of the population who have still not taken up the vaccine, even when there is a clear risk to not getting jabbed at all? We need to work with the local communities. We need to work more with the Arab community that is also not monolithic. In the Negev, in the south of Israel, when I'm the director of the School of Public Health, we are working with the Israeli Arab Physician Association. We are working with religious leaders. We cannot just give a message, okay, go vaccinate, it's important. We need to be very specific and target the worries of different specific uh, groups. We had some successes, but it's very specific and needs to be taken care of all the time. And uh, we suggested several years ago to have a law about improving vaccination rates, not by compulsion, but by investing money in the infrastructure of data and manpower to deal with uh, vaccine hesitancy, including in social media. That's something that needs to have a plan. I'm very afraid that uh, the current vaccine controversy will influence not just COVID vaccinations, but also other vaccines that are on the regular schedule, especially for, for children in the future. That's something that we really need to take care. The COVID-19 pandemic has evolved dramatically over the past two years, but so too have our tools to fight it. The situation today, Dr. Nurberger says, is unrecognizable to the case two years ago. I wrote my institution guidelines in the beginning of 2020, and when I read them now, it's not it's not a change. It's a complete different thing. Nothing I wrote in 2020 is, is used anymore. So we gave a lot of useless medications because we didn't know. And now we have more and more medications which are effective. And the big change is that we are able to treat patients in the community before they become severe. These are medications that are now being made available and they changed everything actually. Of course, we have the vaccination, which is also a big game changer. So one year ago, we had rows of people ventilated, and now we don't anymore. A viral stage, the beginning, and antiviral medication, which is now available, actually there are two of them, decreased the number of viruses which are alive, and then therefore decreased the probability of severe disease. Uh, that's one thing. The second thing is anti-inflammatory medications, which are given for patients uh, later in the course of the disease and also prevent intubation and death. But these are medications for hospitalized patients. So the big revolution in, let's say, the previous two, three months are the antivirals. 
the end result of all this, the number of deaths in Israel remains extremely low. In the 14 days to January 12, 2022, 47 people died with COVID in Israel. By comparison, in the 14 days to September 1, 2021, that's at the height of the more deadly Delta variant wave, 344 people died. I think we will have to change the way we try to prevent COVID-19 because the Omicron variant is unpreventable. It's so infectious that it will infect eventually a large proportion of the population and nothing will change that. Things are always changing, new variants are emerging, and that can bring with it uncertainty at best and major setbacks at worst. But one thing is clear. Vaccinations continue to slow or stop the spread of COVID-19 to some extent. They also stop the vast majority of the worst cases of COVID-19. Despite the seemingly cataclysmic number of Omicron cases being reported, this is not a wholesale return to the situation of March 2020. Doctors have a far better understanding of the disease. They have better drugs to treat it and new strategies. Policymakers have better understanding of what they can do, the impact of their policies and the infrastructure to quickly apply measures to slow and stop the spread of the disease. Professor Davidovich says that it's very hard to see what's ahead of you when you're in the middle of a tsunami of new COVID infections. But he hopes that the spread of this seemingly manageable variant will lead to an added level of immunity in the community and maybe even a form of herd immunity. While this is the cause for some cautious hope, he is less upbeat about what Omicron and COVID-19 in general illustrates about global action on the virus or indeed other crises. Hopefully we'll get the lesson how we need to act together. We are all in the same boat. This is on the international level. On the national level, the question of inequality is something that also must be taken into consideration. I think the role of community resilience are shown to be very, very important. And that's something that we must invest in every country. And we need to stop thinking about global problems in just in terms of national We need to move, for example, from vaccine nationalism to vaccine internationalism and similarly in other challenges such as climate change. The global inequality in vaccine distribution, he says, is leading to a fertile ground for variants like Omicron to emerge. Others could soon follow unless change comes. So it's a very complex situation right now and we are still in the middle of it. This is unprecedented and we are learning all the time and we need probably to be very humble because this uh, covid Uh, This this, pandemic actually is uh, surprising us uh, all the time. Thanks this week to Dr. Ami Nurberger and Professor Nadav Davidovich. I'm James Haynes-Young, and we were produced this week by Rosie Scammell in Jerusalem, as well as Aisha Khan and Arthur Edison in Abu Dhabi. If you want to get all the latest episodes of Beyond the Headlines as soon as they're released, then just hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And please leave us a review while you're there. It makes all the difference.